We bless you as we come in Jesus' name and his blood. We thank you for this open heaven, your glory that's here, just awesome tonight. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your leadership here tonight, and we're just moving with you. But Lord, I pray, Father, I thank you for everybody that's hearing this tonight, the Holy Spirit to move upon every one of us, wherever people are at, maybe they're in a car, they're at home, whatever. I thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit moving upon us right now, and that by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit to anoint um, every one of us fresh and just help us to lock in and focus. There's not going to be distractions, but I thank you, Father, by the Holy Spirit, help us to have minds that are in tune with what you're saying to us, eyes and ears of the Spirit to be able to see and hear and hearts of understanding that maybe we couldn't have had on our own, but, but the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Word and see things and understand profound things. And, and Lord, that we can really... Uh, you know, eat tonight, feed of the, the Word of God, the meat of the Word, and really get something out of this, that there's a tangible uh, something in our lives that stays with us that we not only hear, but deeply understand and apply the Word to our lives. Let this be as living seeds of truth sown in a good soil, watered by the Spirit, that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And the wind of the Holy Spirit will carry this out among the nations, and it will go forth and accomplish everything God wants it to do. The word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish what you sent it to do, Lord. And Lord, we submit this unto you, and we know the birds try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we agree together anything of the devil's kingdom that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to get and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We command that right now in the name of Jesus. We bind you. Back off right now. We break your power off this time and off everything to do with this sermon. In every place it's supposed to go, we bind anything of the devil that's trying to hinder people that are listening to this right now. And Lord, I thank you for freedom and that your angels just clear things out. And this will be a powerful, effective time in you. We thank you for everything accomplished in it through this time of the word that you will be done. We believe it. We expect it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm dealing with, I'm going to have to go kind of quickly through this, assuming that River of Life, and hopefully many that are hearing this that are not in River of Life, have a foundational understanding of some things. So I'm not going to dwell on certain points too long, but I do want to say that this is very relevant for River of Life. So I want you guys to really hear this tonight. I believe it'll help the greater body, but for you, okay? So Daniel 7.25, he is speaking of the devil's kingdom here. He will speak words against the Most High God and shall wear out the saints. You see, I know in end-time prophecy what this means and all that. I understand that. But I want you to see that there is a strategy of hell's kingdom in these latter days to try to be blasphemous and speak against the Most High but also trying to wear out God's people. One little thing after the next, one little sickness after the next, one little setback after the next. It's like you're trying to move forward and do what God's called you to do, and all of a sudden the devil slithers over here, a friend turns into an enemy. This person does this. This thing comes up over here, this distraction. The devil's trying to light all these different fires and keep people running around putting out fires where they're, where they're worn out and they can't really focus on what God's called them to do. He's trying to wear out the saints, trying to hinder people. And I believe that the greatest strategy to that, what I just mentioned right there, 
is going to be if you can get a powerful group of people in prayer, consistent, persistent prayer, that people that know how to pray, intercessors that know how to pray in the Spirit and travail in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit will pray through us, and the Holy Spirit will use those type of prayers to stop the enemy from being able to light all these fires. And even if he lights a fire, it'll quickly be diffused, so to speak. You see, put out, the fuse is taken out. It's not going to cause a big explosion, but it's going to take prayer. And I wish that the body of Christ overall would really lay hold of the power of prayer and how important it is because the Bible, Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. I believe if we really made God's house a house of prayer, I believe a lot of other things would work itself out. I believe it'd be a lot easier to see a harvest and, and revival and, and healings and miracles, etc. All right, so we know the devil's trying to wear out. Now, when you're at a place, Kronos and Kairos time, which you're familiar with, Kronos time is just, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 30 days in a month, 52 weeks in a year. You're just going through time, and you're doing what God's called you to do. You have promises. You're believing God. You're in prayer. But there comes a fullness of time. And in the fullness of time is the kairos. That's when now the birthing comes. What you've been praying about now is going to happen. You see, when you're in chronos time, you're praying about it. You believe it. You believe God's moving, you're speaking faith, and you're living it out, but there comes a Kairos time when you're actually going to see it happen. It's changing. Now's the time, you see, the fullness of time. When that comes, you have to understand the devil is really going to try to hinder. And so remember this, whenever Pharaoh, when Moses showed up and Moses said, let my people go, it's the fullness of time. What happened? Pharaoh began to cause Israel to be beaten even more. The straw was removed so that they had to also gather straw and still meet their quota. It's like the devil began to really oppress all the more to try to cause Israel to be discouraged and beat down and not believe what God is wanting to do. And sure enough, they begin to mumble and complain against Moses. So when it's the fullness of time for something to change, it's time. The devil will really try to tighten things down, oppress all the more. It's an attack before blessing. And if you won't let it get you down, if you won't allow it to distract you, you won't allow it to cause you to feel like giving up, if you'll still lift up your head and praise God and thank him, and you press through it, you're going to get the victory. It's like Israel, they came out of Egypt. The Bible says in Psalms, there was none sick or feeble among them. God gave them his strategy to come under the blood of the lamb. He gave them the blood. They came out with silver and gold. They plundered Egypt. They came out healthy. They came out with wealth. God took them through the Red Sea. But before they got that great victory, they had to go through some very serious warfare. And you saw the Egyptian army bearing down on them, going to kill them. And there was no doubt that this army could have destroyed many lives. But God made a way through that on the other side and destroyed their pursuing army that was coming against them. So the word Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, and it speaks of like upper and lower Egypt, like some kind of a dual thing. 
And metaphorically speaking, Egypt speaks of dire straits. It speaks of like a tight squeeze between two places that you have to squeeze through that to the other side. And though it may kind of sound a little funny at first, it's like Kronos time is the nine months of a pregnancy. But Kairos time is when the water breaks and the baby's moving forward now, you see. And when the baby begins to move out, what happens is going through the birth canal, there's a tight squeeze. It has to press through, see. And it's, it's that way in the Bible, you see when Joshua and them, well, let's go back. When Moses was going toward the promised land, there was two kings, Sion and Og, and they had powerful armies. I mean, and they were side by side. Moses had to conquer those two. In fact, Og, that king, was a Nephilim. He, had a, he was a giant, and people were afraid of him. But Moses had to go take Israel through like those dire straits. It was two things side by side that they had to kind of squeeze through that, and God give them the victory. Just like the Red Sea, on each side it had to part, and they had to go through that. Is this making sense tonight? So sometimes when you're right at a place of moving from Kronos to Kairos, things will get tight. The enemy will up the warfare. He's trying to tighten things down on you. He's trying to get you discouraged and feel like giving up. And if you do, it can hinder. But if you'll stay moving forward, you will get the victory. Now, let me just tell you, when, do you how many remember the story of the centurion that came to Jesus? And Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. And so if you read the story of the centurion, with the curiosity as to what made Jesus say about this man that he had great faith. Well, first off, the centurion, when Jesus said that, the centurion was saying this. He was saying, Lord, I am a man of authority. I understand being under authority, being told what to do and not to do. I'm under authority, but I also am a man of authority that I tell people to go and come. So he understood authority. And how many knows you'll never have authority in Christ's kingdom unless you learn to be under authority? Then God can trust you with authority. So there's that aspect. I believe that's part of it. But the centurion, here's where I believe also great faith. The centurion said, Jesus, I'm not worthy that you come to my house. But if you'll just say the word, it'll be done. Think about that for a minute. How many people, how many times, like when Naaman came to, to get healed and to the prophet Elisha, Elisha didn't even go out, just told him to go dip in the river. And, and Naaman got offended. I thought surely he would come out, wave his hand over me or do something. But see, the centurion had great faith. He simply said, Jesus, if you just speak the word, that's enough. And the Lord said, it's done. Go, go home. It's done. And he, listen to what I'm saying. That's all that he had to go on was Jesus speaking that one little word. That was it. That's all he had to go on. He didn't see anything. He didn't feel any different. There wasn't like some shining light hovering overhead. There wasn't thunder in the distance. The ground didn't rumble. I mean, nothing of significance, all that happened was, Jesus said, go, it's done. And the centurion believed that statement, believed the word, 
And you know, on his way home, he had to rehearse that in his mind. Jesus said, he's healed. He said, it's done. I just believe it to be so. He had to rehearse that. And on his way home, he was met by a servant who said to him, hey, your servant is healed. And he said, well, what hour exactly did this happen? And he told him, and it was the exact moment Jesus said, it's done. But let me tell you something. He had to believe that it was done first. And you see that in the scriptures, all, all through the scripture. I mean, Abraham was a man of great, great faith. And Abraham had to believe the Lord. All, all Abraham had was the word of God spoken to him. That's it. God told him, said, leave your father's house. I will make you into a great nation. Abraham had to believe, even though his wife was barren, even though they were older in age, he was going to leave everything he knew to a foreign land, and he had to believe God for all of that to happen based on just that one word. You understand? That's such a radical faith for people. And the same thing, Moses in the Red Sea, etc. You think about Joshua in the walls of Jericho. God told him, march around it once a day. On the seventh day, march seven times. Shout, blast the shofar. I'll do. And he had to believe that. They had to go forward believing. Joshua had to be, just like these others, Joshua had to be a man of prayer that as he prayed, he learned this from Moses. He had to pray and learn to hear God speak to him. And when God spoke to him, I, basically, I'm paraphrasing, he, God said, Joshua, I'm going to give you Jericho. It's my will. I want you, here's the strategy I want you to do. I want you to march around it once a day for seven, uh, six days on the seventh day, seven times. And Joshua heard all this, and Joshua believed God, and he said to the people, God is going to give us this city. Here's what God said do. We're going to do it. We're going to believe him. And you know what? God gave them the city. But had they not believed that word, and let me just keep going. David at Ziklag, I read this last week. The Amalekites came in, took everybody captive, burned the city. David's men were so distraught they were going to stone him. David had to learn. Remember, he put the ephod on. He had to learn. This was the same guy that set out in the field, playing the harp, worshiping, praying, seeking God by himself for years. He learned how to pray. He learned how to hear from God. And David had to learn. He had already learned. Now he had to apply what he learned. He had to pray, and he said, Lord, what shall I do? Do I pursue them? What do I do? My men are speaking of stoning me. We just lost everything. What do you say? And God said, go chase them down. You will overtake them, and you will recover all. And David said, I believe. And he got up, and he said, men, we're going to go get them. God says we're going to win. Let's go. And he went in faith. The whole time he's going, he's putting himself in harm's way. You understand, it's not like going there and just saying, hey, guys, give us our stuff back. It's not like that. They knew that they were going to have to fight with swords for their very life, and they were putting themselves in harm's way. David had to have great faith that God was going to protect them from death and give them the victory and recover all. And he went rehearsing in his mind, God said, you will pursue and overtake them. God said this, I believe it to be so. How many hear me tonight? We've got to learn to hear from God and have faith. 
Sometimes, you know, I was so fortunate to have the right people. By the Spirit of God, God gave me the right people to speak into my life when I was younger, including people that I didn't know personally. Like I mentioned last week, Kenneth Hagin Sr. taught, taught a lot on faith and the authority of the believer and prayer and believing God about things. And I, I was so fortunate at such a young age to, to have that in my life. And I believe that that has really been a tremendous blessing because I've had, I also, just like any other Christian, I've had to learn how to pray and hear from God about things. But once you pray about it and you've heard from God, then you, you can really stand on what God has told you is going to happen. But you have to get God's strategy. We know that when Jesus died on the cross, that he paid for our sins. So we know it's his will that our sins be forgiven. We know it's his will that by his stripes we're healed. We know it's his will that we're delivered from the enemy, that he became a curse for us, that we can be delivered from all this satanic stuff in our lives, our past. We know it's his will. He died impoverished so that we could have prosperity. We know the word of God. We know his will. But when you get into situations in life, you've got to learn how to pray and ask the Lord, what shall I do? And fast and let him speak to you. He may not speak to you on day one or even day 40, but eventually he will. And when God gives you the strategy, what he's going to do, then you can stand on that no matter what. And let me tell you, it's important because you don't go by what you see. How many knows the Bible says we don't live by sight, we live by faith? See, when God speaks to you about things in the natural, it's going to look like the opposite many times. When God told Israel, he said, I'm taking you into a promised land flowing with milk and honey, they went straightway into a desert with cactus, tumbleweeds, snakes, scorpions. There was no, no honey. There was... You know what I'm saying? It wasn't flowing with milk. In fact, they didn't even have good water to drink many times unless God gave it to them. It was the exact opposite. So you get the word of God. God says, oh, I'm taking you into a promised land, but you can't go by what you see. You have to go by what God said. The centurion had to leave Jesus with nothing different in the natural. He didn't feel different. There was nothing different but except that he believed that Jesus said it was done. That's it. Jesus said, no faith like this have I seen in Israel. This is great faith. He just believed. And when you get the word of the Lord, you just believe. You may go through the exact opposite. And sadly, I think, and please hear what I'm saying and hear this as, as a pastor, as a heart of compassion and love, but during the formulative years, many times of uh, being a young Christian, many people, if they don't get this foundation, they can have a hard time when difficulties come. Because before, maybe all those years that God wanted to develop faith in them and strengthen them and, and test their mettle and help them to, to, to learn how to pray and hear from God and stand in faith and all that, God wanted to do that. But instead, they, they were so caught up with other things. They were busy in life. They didn't pray like they should. They didn't really 
get the word down in their spirit. Maybe they spent their time just feeling sorry for themselves, having pity parties or being bitter or whatever, but they didn't develop that. Then as the years pass, things start coming up in life that they need to know how to hear from God and how to walk in faith, and they really haven't learned it. And so they struggle. And I believe with all my heart that in these latter days, we better learn how to hear from God, and we better learn how to walk in faith. So when you get the word of the Lord, it may look different. It may feel different. As a matter of fact, sometimes it seems like God is not doing it right off, but yet he's going to come through. You remember how whenever Lazarus took sick, they, they believed God, but Jesus waited, and the sickness ended up killing, but Jesus waited. But yet the miracle came. And sometimes it seems like it delays, but it's not really a delay. It's just God. He's just doing it the way he wants to do it. But you can't go by what you see. You can't go by what you feel. And if you're one of those that just is going to get depressed and discouraged and all that, it's going to be difficult. You've got to learn to be the type of person like David at Ziklag that he said, even though all this was there, it was burned. Black ash, smoke, everything he owned, gone. I've lost everything, so I kind of have an idea of that. He lost everything. And people, people with him wanted to stone him. I've had friends turn into enemies. Kind of relate a little bit here. And David, what did David do? David really, truly could have done this. I'm not trying to be funny. David could have went and wept and had a pity party and felt sorry for himself, like some people do. Why is God doing this to me? I was anointed to be king. I mean, doesn't he hear my prayers? Doesn't he care? You know, he could have got all like that. But David, instead of being a big baby about it, David said, you know what? I'm going to strengthen myself in God. I don't know why this happened, but I'm going to hear from God. God, what do I do? And the Lord says, I tell you what, you go pursue him, you'll recover everything. If David had sat around having a pity party, that may not have happened. But David rose up and he took his men, you know, he girded his loins, he strengthened himself in his God. And he drew his sword and he went forward. And you know what? He recovered everything and all of the spoils of war. Is anybody listening to me tonight? So when God gives you a word, Satan may tighten the, the screw down. He's trying to really tighten things down. He's trying to increase his oppression. He's trying to discourage you because what you see and what you feel is the opposite of what God promised. But yet, we've got to learn to be like David and strengthen ourselves. We've got to learn to be like an Abraham that believes against all odds. You know, God said this. It's going to happen. God waited for Abraham 25 years until there was, I mean, even in the natural, so to speak, it would already been impossible given that she was barren. But now, she was even beyond the age of even being able to miraculously have a child in the natural. I mean, she was like 100 years old. And Abraham had to believe God against all odds. There was no way, in the, and God waited until it got to that point. And then the miracle came. And you can see people's attitude out there in the world 
about prayer, but there's not too many things that really are pet peeves that really annoy me, but this attitude about prayer annoys me. I hear people saying, well, you know, all else has failed. I guess we, you know, all we have is a prayer. That's annoying. It's like, well, if you actually understood anything about God and prayer, that would have been the first thing you were doing, and probably God would have already answered your prayer, and you'd have a miracle by now, but you don't believe God, and you don't believe in prayer. And unfortunately, that same type of attitude is in the church world. People are like, well, we just hope and pray. That type of thing doesn't work with God. It's not about hoping that something might possibly, could one day miraculously might happen. That's no faith in that. It's saying, God said it, we believe it, oh, it will happen. And you keep speaking faith over it. See, the Bible says this promise. With the man, if you will believe in your heart, that's where true faith is. True faith is not in your head. Your head area is just you mentally agreeing with something. I can preach on this tonight, and everybody that's a Christian for the most part is going to look and nod because I'm preaching the word. They mentally agree. But if God can get this revelation in your spirit, then there'll be great faith in your heart. That's where true faith comes from is the heart. And so that's why it's so important to meditate on the word and speak the word daily until it gets out of your head and it sinks down into your heart because then you have heart faith. And that faith moves mountains. So heart faith, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, that's the principle unto salvation. So what is salvation in the Bible? The word sozo means save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve, prosper, make to do well. All of that, everything Jesus paid for is summed up in that word sozo. And it is a believing in the heart and a confessing with the mouth that causes the sozo to come forth. And you know what? It doesn't take a lot of faith. People say, well, I don't know if I'm a person of great faith. Let me be honest. I don't know that I am either. But I'll tell you this. All I need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And the Bible says that mountains will move for me. You don't have to have great faith. And let me tell you something about faith. Faith is not a feeling. Because if some days you may feel like you have great faith, and other days you don't feel like it. Faith is greater than your feelings. Faith is greater than your ups and downs. Faith is greater than even your prayer life. Faith is simply something, it's a substance inside of you that believes the Lord what he said. He said it, it will happen. But the way, you have to get this revelation, River of Life, the way that mountains will move is when we have faith in our heart and we speak it with our mouth. But it has to be spoken. Jesus said, when you stand praying, this is the famous part of the Bible, was it Mark 11, I believe, that Kenneth Hagin stood on his whole life. Literally, it basically brought him from the brink of death. But the Bible says, when you stand praying, believe you have received it. And then what does it say? Say to that mountain, be thrown into the sea. That was the scripture he stood on his whole life. And that's true. But you have to believe in your heart and speak with your mouth. And it's not mentally agreeing with me. It's getting it in your spirit. 
And so when I was younger in the Lord, I remembered that I would memorize scripture and I would speak these scriptures out loud over my life. And as I quoted the word of God, you know what happened? I noticed as I meditated on it and I kept speaking the scriptures, I kept speaking these promises of God and taking communion and, and speaking out the covenant promises. You know what I found? It moved from just being in my head and it moved down into my heart, into my spirit. And as it got down into me, the Bible said his word have I hid in my heart. It got down into my spirit and I noticed that I began to believe the things that I was saying. It wasn't just mentally agreeing anymore. Now it was really believing. And now that I knew what God's will is and I knew what the word said, and so now I could come before God in time of need and I can say, Lord, I have this need here. What do you say? Jesus paid for it. It's redeemable. But Lord, what do you say in this situation? I could seek him in prayer and fasting. I need this. I need this provision. I need this breakthrough. And I would listen and God would speak to me. And he would say, this is what's going to happen. And so then I learned that I could stand on that. That's the word of God, amen? You learn to hear from him, and you learn to stand on that. And many times, and my wife will tell you because she's seen it now, many times God would tell me something, and then it would seem like the exact opposite would start happening. As a matter of fact, that would go on for some time. And we had to believe God. And sometimes Satan would make it where now the straw was removed, so to speak, you know, and you had to keep, you, it was like oppressing and making it more difficult. And, and it was like the enemy was tightening the screws. And, and man, but as you stood in faith, this is what God said. I believe it in my heart. I speak it out loud. Eventually it would give way and we would see answer prayers. But people's attitude about this has got to change in the body of Christ. I, I was shocked at how bad things were at this pandemic time. I'm just being honest. 2020, I saw no difference in the church world than I did the world. People had the same level of fear. They were acting just like the world. They wanted to control everything around them. They wanted to act just like the, the Jezebel spirit that's so pervasive in the world. They wanted to control everybody, control everything, total fear, total control. They wanted to be in control. And what they were trying to do is protect themselves. If they had simply, the body of Christ had ever simply learned to meditate on the word of God and get it down in their spirit and really got the scriptures about protection and health and healing and all these things in their spirit, when this thing came, they wouldn't have been afraid. They would have simply said, God's going to protect me, and even if I get it, he's going to heal me. I'm going to be just fine. And they wouldn't have handled it like the world did, and some people did handle it scripturally, but by and large, most people handled it just like the world. So now let me shift gears, and then I'll bring all this together at the end, but there's three different spirits that I want to talk about tonight. In these latter days, I believe that these three are going to be prevailing, pervasive spirits that you're going to need to be aware of. These are not little annoying, you know, little troll demons running around getting on people's nerves or whatever. It isn't like that. These are powerful, intelligent, high, highest ranking, 
fallen angels that are, that are very intelligent, have a lot of authority and power with Satan. They blanket the world with their influence. And you need to be aware of this, okay? So I'm going to give you some things. Number one is the spirit of Baal. This also is very connected to the Antichrist spirit. Um, Baphomet. This is all the same spirit, just different manifestations, if you will. It, the Baal spirit is an ancient, powerful spirit that oversees all of the corrupt worship of the world. So whether it's Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, witchcraft, Satanism, whatever it is, anything that is cultish, idolatry, pagan temples, altars to other gods, all of that is the realm of Baal. And the Antichrist spirit is kind of a manifestation of this, but it's not the only manifestation. So the Antichrist spirit will come forth in this as a counterfeit Christ. And you see that, what, in um, things like Mormonism, where there's like a counterfeit Christ. And so this thing is very Antichrist. It's, it's very uh, corrupt in the worship. And this has to do with idols, altars, covenants, temples, worship of other gods. It has to do with being dedicated to other religions and other gods. And if your family was ever involved in this in the past, there's an element of being dedicated to those gods, even though you don't, you're not aware of it. Um, it also traffics in the realm of the occult, and the altar that's in Freemasonry is the altar to Baal. So this spirit of Baal, the only way to really live free from this, this is not something that you can just point up in the sky and take authority over. The way that you live victorious over Baal is that you really humble yourself and repent of any of the iniquity that's in you and in your blood. So your ancestry that worshiped other gods, there was idols, there was altars, there was covenants, there was temples, there was dedications to other gods that you really truly repent of all of that in your life and in your family ancestry, and that will liberate you from Baal. There's a really good book called Redeeming Your Bloodline, and his last name is Sirovina, and it's S-I-R-O-V-I-N-A, Sirovina. You can buy it on Amazon, but this guy wrote an excellent book about this issue. And there's prayers that you can pray in the book. And these prayers will liberate you from the things that's been in your past and in your bloodline. So there's a scripture in the Bible that's really interesting where Gideon, his family, worshiped Baal. And God showed up to Gideon and spoke to him and said, you mighty warrior, and began to call, Baal, uh, call Gideon to do something for him. And we know the story, Gideon was shy, but God told him, said, first, before I use you to liberate Israel and see great victory, here's what I need you to do. You're going to go and cut down the altar to Baal and Asherah that's in your father's backyard that your family has worshipped Baal. Cut it down, 
And then you're going to take an, a sacrifice to, to me, God was saying to him, and you're going to put that sacrifice on top of that altar, and you're going to kill it so the blood of that sacrifice comes, and that blood was going to cancel out that Baal worship in his family. Do you see what I'm saying? God had to deal with that legal ground the enemy had in Gideon because his parents and maybe grandparents worshiped Baal. And so God had to cancel that. The blood of the sacrifice erased that. Gideon was forgiven for his iniquity and that in his family. Then God said, now I can use you to do what I want to use you for. So that's how we get free from Baal is by really repenting of all those altars and covenants and things that's been in our lives and in our family. And the blood of Jesus will wash all that away. God will purge us from all that iniquity. And then there's a freedom from Baal's influence. All right. And if let me just say that if your family has been involved with Freemasonry, you need to pray about that. If your family, and my family has been also, my family is a lot of Native American. If your family has Native American in it, you need to pray about that. If your family has uh, Roman Catholicism and all that idolatry, you need to pray about it. So just anything, if your family has witchcraft in it, the occult, you need to pray about it. And get all that washed away in the blood of Jesus so you can be free. Then, secondly, another spirit that's really going to be pervasive in these latter days is the queen of heaven. This is the Jezebel spirit, Jezebel and Ahab. And man, that is a whole sermon by itself. In fact, that's probably seven sermons by itself. I don't have time to get into it. But my wife and I wrote a book on it. It's for free on our website, fnirevival.com. You can Google uh, Scott Boyd, River of Life, and go there and read it if you're interested. But let me tell you, this is a serious warfare. This Jezebel spirit is no joke, and you need to know about it. This spirit attacked Elijah, the greatest prophet Israel probably ever had. Elijah ends up suicidal, depressed, going off in the wilderness, and really never really did much for God after that, except to pass it on to Elisha. So Jezebel is a serious, it's a formidable foe, and it has to do with rebellion ungodly control, it is a hindrance to your destiny if you're not careful. Be careful who you're around. Do not come under the witchcraft control of anybody. This spirit is pervasive. And let me tell you, there's certain people in, in Revelation 2.20, the Lord Jesus himself spoke to the church at Thyatira and said this, I have this against you, you tolerate Jezebel. So there was apparently a Jezebel in their church. He said, you tolerate her, but listen to what the Lord said. She wants to teach, and she calls herself a prophet. These people have an affinity for the prophetic, even though I believe in the prophetic, because they can control people by their false prophecies. And not only that, if they can worm their way into teaching, they can manipulate through teaching and control people that way. And Jesus said about Jezebel... She was using her teaching to lead people astray in the food sacrificed to idols, which was compromised, and even in the sexual immorality. So this is a very serious thing. Be careful. Listen, not everybody that acts really spiritual 
is spiritual. Some people act like they always hear from God. They've always got a word. They act like they're prophetic. They seem so spiritual. They kind of brag about the things in their life that supposedly God has used them and all of that. They, they act real spiritual. They sound real spiritual, but all they are is a little Jezebel. And they're not actually spiritual. They have some accuracy and some inaccuracy. There's a mixture. There's a blending there. There's something strange, and you need to discern that. So how does Jezebel slither into people's lives and in their family bloodline? Because this thing is fiercely generational. Well, idols, the worship of idols. That's why Jezebel, the queen of heaven, is so strong in Roman Catholicism. In my opinion, and I've dealt a lot with this, I believe the strongman of Roman, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, is the Jezebel spirit. I believe that is the principality of that religion. And it has to do with so much idolatry and paganism there. But Jezebel has to do with idols. So you have to be careful that there's no idols in your heart. So deeply repenting of any idols, and many times where there's idols in our hearts, there's a, a lust for those things. In fact, there's like a discontentment in life because you're always wanting more and wanting certain things. And, and it causes people to kind of grumble and complain because there's these idols in them that they're lusting after more things or whatever the idol is. So whether the idol is sex or money or material things, whatever that is, you have to let God repent of it and let God take that iniquity out of you, that there's no more idols in your heart at all about anything. And if you're a part of some kind of religion that is bowing down to idols, you need to repent and renounce and get out of it. So Jezebel comes in through idolatry. Jezebel is very pervasive in the realm of lust and sexual sins and even into perverted desires. So where Jezebel and Ahab is, trust me, there's going to be lust and sexual perversions. Also, the spirit of whoredoms. This has to do with unfaithfulness, adultery, and being unfaithful to God, like backsliding. This spirit of whoredoms operates with Jezebel very strongly. Jezebel is very pervasive in the area of witchcraft and ungodly control. This is a sermon all by itself. But let me just say, anytime that there's manipulation, intimidation, and control, Jezebel is behind it. And that type of ungodly control is witchcraft according to the way the Bible portrays witchcraft. You talk about witchcraft, and people have this weird view of a, a lady with a, a certain looking nose around a cauldron and pointy hat, stirring something, throwing in these herbs. They don't understand that witchcraft in its essence is actually just controlling people. Yes, it can use the dark arts. It can use spells, incantations, rituals to try what? To control other people and control your life. Or it can just be witchcraft of the flesh where people are just really manipulative and controlling. But bottom line, that is 100% witchcraft and it cannot be tolerated. Another realm Jezebel traffics in is Python. Python is the spirit of divination. 
And what that is, is counterfeit revelation. In the occult, you know, reading the stars, reading palms, reading runes, whatever. But the Jezebel spirit, if it's at work in somebody's life, there's going to be an element of Python there that's creating a counterfeit revelation, false prophecies, etc. You hear me tonight, because this is important. There's been some people that I would not let them lay hands and pray over people in River of Life because I knew in my spirit that they, it was not pure. I knew there was something there. And sure enough, over time, Jezebel manifested, and sure enough, it was counterfeit. You have to discern that stuff and not put up with it. I've seen people, I think of one person in particular, you know, in times past, but man, this person sounded in many ways like an intercessor, but there was a false counterfeit spirit. It was like nails on a chalkboard when they would be used in that way. I knew it wasn't God. I never let them do anything as far as praying for people, teach or anything like that. But sure enough, I had to pray that out. As a pastor, you've got to pray, Lord, purge out what's not of you. Keep it out because Satan tries to put tares among the wheat. Don't let them worm their way into being teachers or prophesying over people because it will damage other people's lives. Also, Jezebel has to do with rebellion. This is homes out of order where a husband refuses to be the leader God's called him to be, refuses to rise up and lead, or, and or a wife refuses to be submissive in everything as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says, as unto the Lord refuses to submit to authority. And children refuse to honor and obey their parents. When you have that type of rebellion against God and God's order, it's Jezebel. Also, Jezebel traffics in ungodly anger, strife, and discord. Jezebel many, many times is behind divorce and broken vows and covenants in marriage. Are y'all hearing me? This is quiet tonight. Y'all with me? <laughs> Jezebel is also behind abortion. If you go back and study the Jezebel spirit, ancient Jezebel, Phoenician princess, they've actually unearthed some things. And infant sacrifice of babies, infant sacrifice has to do with this whole realm of Baal, Moloch. It's a Jezebel spirit, very satanic. That's why, hear me, River of Life, that's why Jezebel in America that you see so pervasive in the Democratic Party, for example, you see so pervasive in the liberals, that's why they are so bent on Planned Parenthood being funded and as much bloodshed of those babies as they possibly can because Jezebel is a bloodthirsty spirit that wants the blood of those babies shed. So the Jezebel spirit is behind the human sacrifice of children. Jezebel is also behind pornography, addictions to pornography, and defiled marriage beds. Remember in the book of Hebrews, it says what? Keep the marriage bed undefiled. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed undefiled. Jezebel causes pornography, 
lusts, masturbation, addiction to those things, and defiled marriage beds. That's a Jezebel spirit that's behind him. There may be other demonic spirits, but Jezebel is behind him. Also, Jezebel works in conjunction with an Ahab spirit, where Jezebel is very domineering and controlling. The Ahab is passive and receives the control. Many times you cannot actually have a Jezebel unless you have an Ahab because if the male authority figure is not an Ahab and won't put up with it, the Jezebel will either repent or they'll leave, but you cannot cohabitate peacefully with a Jezebel unless you're an Ahab. But let me just say, it's a false peace. If you're an Ahab and you're going along to get along, you're under a spell of witchcraft and it's a false peace and it will utterly be destroyed in the end. You might as well grab the bull by the horns and fight out that thing and get rid of it and do what you got to do to get things the way they're supposed to be because I promise you, going along to get along, you'll pay for it one day. You'll pay for it. So being passive, Ahab is passive. It tries to, it attacks men a lot. And it tries to make men into boys. It's an immaturity. Y'all hearing me? Immature. Irresponsible. Always procrastinating things. It also has to do with abdicating authority. In other words, you're supposed to be the head of this, but you let the Jezebel really be the head of it, and you're just passive. Ahab has a very, very strong lust about that spirit. Very strong lust. Most Ahabs have an addiction to pornography. It's also got a seething anger issue under the surface. I have tried to, in the most loving way that a pastor can, there's no way I could have handled it better or different. I've had to talk to some people in private. And there was some times where there was a really rebellious, troublemaking woman, and I dealt with it gently and as nice as I possibly could without putting up with it. And I would see the Ahab husband, I've seen it with my eyes more than once, where their face would get red and there would be this anger and this rage just seething under the surface. And it was weird. It was demonic. I'm sitting here looking at him like, but the thing is that Jezebel had to be dealt with and that Ahab was never going to do it. And so it ends up that the pastor has to do it. There's no choice. You have no choice. You have to deal with it. So Ahab has this anger. There's something about an Ahab spirit that's like a storm just brewing under the surface. So the two so far is Baal. Baal is oversees all the counterfeit worship. This is a major strong man. It is a principal spirit that oversees every cult, every false religion, all the witchcraft of the world, all of that. I believe Baal will be the principal spirit that possesses or works next along with the false prophet, whether it indwells him or it's like beside him, I don't know. But I believe that that's a very strange witchcraft type of spirit that's going to empower the false prophet to perform signs and wonders. And basically use the false prophet to, to cause worship toward the Antichrist and toward the dragon. That's Baal. 
Jezebel is a very seducing spirit. It seduces people into witchcraft and the occult. There's an alluring about it. It's a very vindictive thing. It's very controlling. And I've seen people carry this spirit. And um, John Paul Jackson has a book on it. I recommend you read it. It's called Unmasking the Jezebel Spirit. Probably one of the better books ever written on that subject, in my opinion, by an incredible man of God. John Paul Jackson was, a, was just a wonderful man of God. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but just an incredible teacher and a true prophet of God. But anyway, it's an excellent book, and he deals with how there's immature Jezebels that are just deceived, but then there's a difference between people that mature in the Jezebel spirit to basically being like a witch, whether they practice witchcraft by going to covens and things like that, or they just carry a very strong spirit of witchcraft about them. But you need to know about these things because in these latter days, everybody look this way and hear me, these things are very pervasive in the world right now. We need to know about this. We need to hear about this. We need to talk about it. So if any of this stuff is in your life or in your bloodline, you need to humble yourself and repent of it and pray about it and let God purge you. This is not something that you're just going to be able to say, I bind this, I command it to leave. No, no, you're going to have to deeply repent and cancel the legal ground. Then this thing can be purged out of your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? These things are bigger than just the realm of casting out a spirit. This is where we've got to live repentant and free from their influence. The third spirit is Leviathan. And I'm going to bring this thing down to a close really quick, okay? I'm trying to go quickly. But Leviathan is in the Bible portrayed like a huge sea monster because the sea represents the mass of humanity, remember? It's like a sea monster. It's portrayed as a dragon of the sea, multiple heads like Mithra. It has multiple heads. So it's like a multi-head dragon sea monster thing. It's obviously metaphoric, okay? And this spirit traffics through human pride. This is a very strong occult spirit. It's very strong in Satanism, very strong. As a matter of fact, the Church of Satan's insignia, that's a pentagram, it spells in Hebrew Leviathan around the five-pointed pentagram star. It spells Leviathan. See, Leviathan is the great destroyer. When they want to send a death and destruction curse to destroy somebody because that person's maybe a threat to, their, to Satan's kingdom, the principal spirit that will oversee that death and destruction is Leviathan. Y'all hearing me? The only way to really conquer Leviathan it's not going to be by shaking your fist in the sky and yelling and screaming. The way that you're really going to defeat Leviathan is getting on your face in prayer and fasting and deep repentance. And as you humble yourself in prayer and humble your body in fasting, it completely breaks the power of Leviathan over you. Whew. Did y'all catch that? I just gave you how you can defeat one of Satan's most powerful spirits on the planet is humility, prayer, and fasting right there. You get on your face and Leviathan cannot destroy you because you're in such a place of being hid with God in Christ in humbling your soul in prayer, humbling your body in fasting, deep repentance. 
and you're going to be down hidden in Christ, and Leviathan has to, the destroyer has to pass over you and cannot touch you. Just like the Passover blood, the blood of the lamb, the destroyer, the death angel had to pass over. That probably was Leviathan. But Leviathan is the great destroyer. It will attack health and try to destroy health. It tries to destroy finances, and it definitely tries to destroy relationships. Leviathan, see, the Bible says, but by pride comes contention. Whenever there's a bunch of fighting and strife, somebody is in pride. Did everybody catch that? The Bible says, but by pride comes contention. So if there's going to be strife and tension in the atmosphere and fighting and all of that, that causes divorce, that causes family alienation, that tears up friendships, that splits up families, somebody is in pride. And because of pride, Leviathan has a legal ground to come in and literally just annihilate. But when everybody is in humility and repentance, and a humble person will say, you know, maybe you're right, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. A humble person will say, you know, I was out of line, I'm sorry, forgive me, I shouldn't have said that. See, humility will bring peace and warmth and love, but pride will bring anger and strife. I'm right, you're wrong. They'll turn it back on you. They wanna fight, they wanna argue, they won't listen to anything. You try to tell them, hey, wait a second, you're, you're not, and they get angry. See, that's strife and that's Leviathan. So the way Leviathan will work, Leviathan also operates very powerfully with a python spirit of counterfeit revelation. Leviathan also works with that spirit. But Leviathan comes to steal. How many know Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy? He uses Leviathan. Leviathan will come in to steal. It devours finances. It devours health. It devours. It steals. Leviathan comes to kill. Leviathan is a strong spirit connected to the death, the spirit of death. Like Python death, Leviathan has to do with death, premature death, okay? And Leviathan has come to destroy. It destroys relationships. Watch out as Satan may be targeting homes in the future that you do not allow yourself to get lifted up with pride, to get a spirit of whoredoms about you. Be careful that you're faithful to your spouse, that you keep yourself pure, that you're not going to be the one that betrays your spouse or causes destruction in your family, that you remain pure and faithful. Don't give place to the devil. But we have to know who we are and what we have in Christ. As I talked about some um, this last week, <clears throat> there seems to be a coming attack of Satan's kingdom to destroy homes and marriages and families. Satan attacked the church through COVID-19, and now I believe he's going to want to attack families. The three spirits he will use will be whoredoms, 
That's a spirit of unfaithfulness. Stay close to God. Do not look with lust. Do not get lifted up with unfaithfulness about you. Keep yourself pure from any type of adultery or unfaithfulness. And let me tell you something. Whoredoms will cause people to be unfaithful to God's house, to be unfaithful to God's people. All of a sudden, they're not going to church. All of a sudden, they don't want to hang around Christians. They want to hang around non-Christians and go to ungodly places. That's a spirit of whoredoms. And it's taking them away from God's house, away from God's people, and ultimately away from God. A spirit of whoredoms will cause people to lust, look with lust, and to begin to meditate on how it would be to be with this other person that's not your spouse. It is a spirit of adultery and unfaithfulness. Do not let it affect you. If you begin to be influenced, you feel that come on you, I'm telling you what it is. It's a spirit of whoredoms. Now you know. Take authority over it. In the name of Jesus, I bind you, spirit of whoredoms. You will not put that thought in my mind. I will be faithful to my God and my spouse and my family. You will leave me in the name of Jesus right now. Take authority. Don't put up with it. Because if you entertain the thoughts over time, it can overtake you. Number two, be careful about a spirit of betrayal. This is connected to Leviathan. A spirit of betrayal is meant to destroy covenant relationships like Judas. Judas betrayed the Lord. But not only is it meant to destroy relationships, but a spirit of betrayal will many times will cause such deep wounds in a person that it sets them back for a while until God's able to heal them from the wounds before they can again be useful. But see, they're wounded. Betrayal. So Satan is not only wanting to destroy relationships, He's wanting to render people wounded where they're sidelined for a while. And also, Satan wants to use betrayal to create bitter roots that defile many. What does the book of Hebrews say? Don't let a bitter root spring up among you that defiles many. When somebody gets bitter, what do they do? They go through talking about it with everybody. So now that bitter root defiles many. Be careful. And also be on your guard about strong resistance. Sometimes the resistance of the enemy, like a wind, like a hurricane force wind, is so strong blowing against you, it feels like it's going to blow the clothes right off your back. <laughs> and I mean, it's like if you're driving down the road going 65 miles an hour and hurricane winds are coming against you, you're putting your foot down, but your car is beginning to go slower. Witchcraft resistance tries to make it difficult to pray. Don't be surprised in the days to come if you don't face whoredoms, a spirit of betrayal, and strong resistance. Witchcraft resistance means that now something is so strongly coming against you that it feels difficult to pray. How many knows the devil knows that if you get out of prayer, you're vulnerable? And let me tell you, the times that you feel it's the hardest to pray is probably because it's the most important that you do pray. And the enemy's trying to get you out of prayer. So if you feel like it's difficult to pray, take authority over the enemy. I bind this. I command to leave me and begin to press in anyway. Take communion, come through the blood, begin to worship God, begin to pray in the Spirit, 
press through, and you watch. If you do that, the presence of God will come in like a flood. Number two, with witchcraft resistance, don't be surprised if something doesn't try to make you very lethargic and complacent and tired. Witchcraft resistance will cause mental confusion. It will also cause increased struggles with temptation. It will cause an agitation in the atmosphere. You wonder, why in the world do I feel an agitation in my home and with my spouse? There is no reason for this. It's probably spiritual. Take authority over it and drive it out. Also, witchcraft resistance will cause nocturnal attacks in the night, maybe night terrors, bad dreams, or it could be sexual in nature, but nocturnal attacks. And finally, let me just end with this. I'm trying to close this out, but I feel you need to hear this. You need to know this river of life. As a pastor, I'm trying to protect you and those that are hearing this. I believe these forces are very real. I believe that we're going to have to walk in great faith. And here's what I would say at the very end of this is live a life of victory. You're going to have to have a strong spiritual covering over you that prays for you. You better get in a powerful church that prays and come under that covering. Number two, God's house. You need to have prayer at church. You need to have prayer meetings. You need to be a part of powerful prayer meetings. That right there is the source of your strength. A praying Christian is a powerful Christian. A praying church is a powerful church. Number three, you better live a righteous life, obedient to God. Don't allow sin in your life. Number four, there's a blessing that can be on your finances if you're a tither and a giver. My wife and I have always been tithers and givers, and because of that, God's blessing is on our finances. So when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and devour, he's hindered and pushed back by God. Why? Because God says, if you're a tither, I will rebuke that devourer for you. And I'll open the heavens and pour out more blessings, and there's room enough to contain you want your finances blessed in these latter days by being a tither and a giver. The next one is communion. You guys know this. I've taught on it. Take communion daily. Come under the blood and speak the word of God out loud. Quote scriptures over your life, over your situations. The next one, lift up your voice and take authority over the enemy. I've already covered this. But don't be passive. If the enemy is attacking you, lift up your voice and bind him and drive him out. What does the Bible say? These signs follow them that believe in my name. They will drive out demons. You have authority to drive it out. Don't be passive. Be aggressive. Also, the power of agreement. There's something about agreement where two agree on earth is touching anything. And let me tell you for married couples, when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he created a husband and a wife, and he put them together in the garden to have dominion on the earth. There's something about a husband and wife coming together in agreement and taking authority over the enemy and about praying about things that goes all the way back to God's original intent with Adam and Eve. There's something about a husband and wife's unity to have dominion on the earth, to have spiritual authority together over the enemy. Dominion. 
Are y'all hearing me? To drive the enemy away, okay, and to agree together in prayer. And finally, a lifestyle of humility, prayer, fasting, giving, and deeply consecrating your life. Living that as a lifestyle. God's put on my heart as a lifestyle to have some partial fasting just on a regular basis because we're living in times where we're just going to have to live very humble. We're going to have to live a life of prayer. We're going to have to live a life of fasting. We're going to have to be givers, and we're just going to have to deeply consecrate our lives and deeply repent and walk humbly before God. And if we do, I believe we're going to see some of the greatest moves of God the world's ever seen. I believe God's going to use us to do great exploits. I believe even though hell is raging, it won't be able to touch you. I believe that those that will live this way are going to live totally victorious and overcomers in these last days. So, Lord, as we close this out, I thank you for hearing and answering the prayers tonight over this sermon. I thank you, Lord, for victory and breakthroughs in Jesus' name. We thank you for we bless you. Amen. Let's go ahead and close this out. And let me know when everything's closed out and done. And if you would, after you close everything out, if you could put on some worship.